They daily mistake my words. All that they imagine is to do me evil. They hold all together and keep themselves close, and mark my steps when they lay wait for my soul. Shall they escape for their wickedness? Thou, O God, in thy displeasure shalt cast them down. Thou tellest my flittings, put my tears into thy bottle. Are not these things noted in thy book? Whensoever I call upon thee, then shall mine enemies be put to flight. This I know, for God is on my side. In God's word will I rejoice. In the Lord's word will I comfort me. Yea, in God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Unto thee, O God, will I pay my vows. Unto thee will I give thanks. For thou hast delivered my soul from death and my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. And under the shadow of thy wings shall be my refuge, until this tyranny be overpassed. I will call unto the Most High God, even unto the God that shall perform the cause which I have in hand. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproof of him that would eat me up. God shall send forth his mercy and truth. My soul is among liars, and I lie even among the children of men that are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Set up thyself, O God, above the heavens, and thy glory above all the earth. They have laid a net for my feet and pressed down my soul. They have digged a pit before me and are fallen into the midst of it themselves. My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up my glory, awake lute and harp. I myself will awake right early. I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing unto thee among the nations. For the greatness of thy mercy reacheth unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Set up thyself, O God, above the heavens, and thy glory above all the earth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here beginneth the 25th chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah. O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee, I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things, thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For thou hast made of a city an heap, of a defense city a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city, it shall never be built. Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee, 
the city of the terrible nations shall fear thee. For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. Thou shalt bring down the noise of strangers at the heat in a dry place, even the heat with the shadow of a cloud. The branch of the terrible one shall be brought low. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the leaves, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the leaves well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For in this mountain shall the hand of the Lord rest, and Moab shall be trodden down under him, even as straw is trodden down for the dunghill. And he shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them, as he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim. And he shall bring down their pride together with the spoils of their hands. And the fortress of the high fort of thy walls shall he bring down, lay low and bring to the earth, even to the dust. He rendered the lesson.
Hebrews 12. Please, Neil. The Lord be with you. Known and from whom no secrets are hid. 
Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. God spake these words and said, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have none other gods but me. Lord, have mercy upon us, we mind our hearts, keep this law. Thou shalt not make to thyself any graven image, nor the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down to them, nor worship them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, and visit the sins of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Lord, have mercy upon us, and upon our hearts keep this law. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Lord, have mercy upon us, and upon our hearts keep this law. Remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. Six days shalt thou labor and do all that thou hast to do. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do no manner of work, thou and thy son and thy daughter, thy manservant and thy maidservant, thy cattle and the stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed. Lord, have mercy upon us, and upon our hearts to keep this law. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Lord, have mercy upon us, and upon our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt do no murder. Lord, have mercy upon us, and upon our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Lord, have mercy upon us, and upon our hearts to Thou shalt not steal. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his servant, nor his maid, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is in. Lord, have mercy upon us, and Let us pray. O Lord, our governor, whose glory is in all the world, we commend this nation to thy merciful care, that being guided by thy providence, we may dwell secure in thy peace. Grant to the President of the United States, and to all in authority, both wisdom and strength, to know and to do thy will. Fill them with the love of truth and righteousness, and make them ever mindful of their calling to serve this people in thy fear. Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. The call to Epistle and Gospels, appointed for the third Sunday in Advent, are found beginning on page 53 of the Book of Common Prayer. O Lord Jesu Christ, who at thy first coming didst send thy messengers to prepare thy way before thee. Grant that the ministers and stewards of thy mysteries may likewise so prepare and make ready thy way, by turning the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, that at thy second coming to judge the world,
we may be found an acceptable people in thy sight, who livest and reignest with the Father and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the honor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life, in which thy Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life of mortal, through him who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, now and ever. The epistle is written in the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians, beginning at the first verse. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing against myself. Yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who, will, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsel of hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Here endeth the epistle.
complete driving of the Nicene Creed on page 246. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets, I believe one Catholic and Apostolic Church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated.
Saturday are fasting days as pointed by the Book of Common Prayer for the relief of the poor, the strengthening of our resolve against sin, and for remembrance of our Lord's passion and death, and especially this week, a remembrance to pray and fast for our pastors, uh, for our ministers, and those who are called to that uh, calling. May the words of my mouth and the taste of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Therefore, judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Hanging over the text of today's epistle, gospel, psalms, and Old Testament reading, hanging over them, is the powerful Advent theme of inescapable, impending judgment. As we've talked about throughout this Advent season, Christmas celebrates God becoming man. Advent prepares us for the resurrected God-man's return to judge the living and the dead. Inevitably, our attitude towards the return of Earth's rightful king is bound up with whether or not we welcome or fear judgment. Whether we long for Almighty God to come and judge us and all the people who have ever lived. Both St. Paul and John the Baptist long for this judgment because they trust the God who made heaven and earth to judge us with grace and truth. Today we have to ask, do we have that trust? For it is a common refrain of the certain type of American who has heard enough of the Bible to be semi-inoculated against its shocking good news to say something like, only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. But of course, the great irony of this rather juvenile cry is that these amateur theologians are unwittingly ladling upon themselves a judgment that no bishop or king or priest could possibly convey. God already knows who we are better than any parent or spouse or friend, better than any human judge or earthly prosecutor. God knows us better than we know ourselves, because God is not deceived by the lies we think we need to tell ourselves to get through some days. As King David writes, O Lord, thou hast searched me out and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts long before. Try me, O God, and seek the ground of my heart. Prove me and examine my thoughts. Psalm 139, verses 1 and 23. Amazingly, again and again, Again, we see the reborn child of God seeking out the judgment of the Almighty. Thus, 
upending the example set by our first representatives before God, Adam and Eve, who hid from their creator after committing the first sin. Their attempt to hide from God in the garden is just as silly as our attempts to hide from the judgment of God. There is no hiding from God. But by seeking God's judgment, we can separate ourselves from all our fellow countrymen who think a temporal right to privacy will somehow hold up in the high court of God. So, who stands to be judged by God? Well, all men, everyone, everyone. But how is that judgment described? Again, we turn to the Psalms. We read, God is a righteous judge, strong and patient, and God is provoked every day. If a man will not turn, God will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Psalm 7, verses 12-14. Here, we see the poetic image of a benevolent king ridding his good land of evil, cleansing our besieged creation of those who persecute the righteous with their selfishness and sin. Combined with the song we just sang together of breaking teeth and mouths and the righteous walking through the blood of the unrighteous, we get a sense of the deadly seriousness of the judgment to come. And anyone who trusts in the good news and loving promises of God, which they very much should in, everyone who does trust in those promises must also rejoice in the good news that evil will be judged and punished. Those things can never be separated. The trust and hope we have in the salvation of God has to be held in the same hand as our trust and hope in his judgment. However, this message of judgment is terribly unpopular among the many churches which sell a fake version of Christianity to their complacent congregations. We hear from pulpits or stages of those snake oil salesmen that we should ignore the Old Testament's sober analysis of our sinfulness and the judgment it deserves. We should ignore all the hard truths for the supposedly kinder, gentler, different God we meet in the New Testament. But what do we make then? Jesus' actual words, right? We, what do we make when he says, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but whomsoever it shall fall on it will grind him to powder. Or further, we read from Jesus, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. These are just two examples of the absolute continuity we have between the Old Testament and the New in terms of the judgment. 
So what we find then is those ministers who mislead their congregations into remaking Jesus in their own image, remaking him into a moral coward who respects our imaginary privacy and calls our evil good, those ministers will be judged by the God whose good name they have taken in vain. It is just this judgment which St. Paul invokes in today's epistle reading. That's the, the judgment against the false ministers of God. He reminds the Corinthians that it is not their judgment, or even his own, which describes the value of his ministry, the value of his sacrifice of himself for God. No. It is only God who has the ability and authority to evaluate the uh, success of his ministry. In fact, calling his, his ministry, right, is kind of very much so to import a modern self-centered idea to the text itself. He never thinks of it as his ministry, right? St. Paul tells us to think of God's ministers as what? Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We could spend a whole day talking about just that phrase, but we'll, we'll take one word today. Um, the word which gets translated here as servant is not the normal one, a doulos, which is a, a, like a slave, right? But it's actually, today, it's the word for an under-rover. An under-rover. This unpleasant job should be familiar to anyone who's ever seen or read Ben-Hur. So it's, it's these guys underneath inside the ship, the men who pull oars to the beat of a drum under the decks of the mighty battleships of the ancient world. Here, St. Paul invokes a beautiful and terrible description of the pastor's life, which is, quite frankly, always kind of made sense to me, I suppose perhaps because I'm a Navy man, right? The under rower is below decks, and in the darkness, right, the only light kind of coming in the, the space where the oars go outside the ship, sitting in darkness, heading towards a destination he's heard of but not seen, set by a captain who never asks his advice, joined by other men who live and die for the next pull of the oar, their lives dictated by the beat of a drum they can't ignore. We find that it is the minister's job to pull that oar. Not commandeer the rudder or stage a mutiny against the captain. It is to pull that bloody oar again and again and again until the ship finds safe harbor. The minister does this work because it is his duty to his Lord. He fails in his work when he lets fear cloud his judgment. It would have been much easier for Paul to have said to the Corinthians, you guys do what you want to do. I'm just here to facilitate. I'm just here to support. Do what you want. Right? Indeed, here is the hardest thing about being a minister in Christ's church. The minister is called to always fear God more than he fears the congregation. To fear God's judgment more than the judgment of the men and women who sit 
in the pews. For indeed, who among us has not judged a clergyman before? I know I have many, many times. And I look back at it and I'm not proud of the things I've said about loyal, faithful clergymen. Using language of something like I'm a snobby film critic, right? Saying things like, boy, was that guy boring. Or, uh, I like this other pastor better. Or, I wish he'd done that rather than this and that and this. Nitpicking my way through a service worshiping God. Nitpicking as if my preferences mattered at all. As if my judgment mattered at all. If that man of God before me was faithfully executing his duties. There are many who not who are very much indeed in need of our judgment. But if they are executing those duties, we should support them. And we see that minister pulling on his oar while too often times I'm sitting in the congregation waiting to be entertained or excited. That's what my sinful heart was, because that's what I expect of the world around us, what I've been taught to expect, to be excited, to be entertained all the time, which is not what church is about, not what worship is about, not what following Jesus is. As an analogy, do we go to a doctor and ask him to entertain us? No. We beg him to heal us. And if he uses Watertown fake medicine, we die. We don't thank the physician for taking it easy on our cancer. We say, do what must be done to save me. And we mean it because we actually think we're sick. We know it because our diseased bodies are screaming at us in a way we haven't been taught to ignore. Unlike the many ways we are constantly taught by the world to ignore our screaming consciences and wounded souls. And so, what do weak ministers do? What do weak pastors do? Without the support of their congregations, they change with the times and become chaplains for whatever silly things people believe at any given moment. They innovate. They have a new revelation. They find in the Bible things that no one has ever found ever before. Right? And it, it just happens to be the thing the congregation wants them to find. They become quacks, telling their patients God is love, leaving out the part of it being a consuming fire. It's the malpractice equivalent of telling the desperate to walk through a cemetery to cure their wounds. That's not But a desperate person who wants to believe will believe. We find that the alternative to God's judgment is all lies and ash and death. But it is what our fallen hearts want. And so very many preachers, politicians, and advertising agencies are ready and willing to provide it to us. Which brings us finally to St. John the Baptist. Sort of the, you know, there's a sense in which St. John the Baptist is kind of mascot of Advent, right? We sing the Benedictus, we have readings today for him. We sing hymns in Advent about John the Baptist, right? He's the harbinger of the first coming of Christ. But what does this greatest man born a woman want today? 
He wants the day of the Lord. He wants, above anything else, judgment to come. Sitting in a prison cell because he dared to tell the truth, St. John doesn't need a pep talk or a moving worship experience or a new toy. No, what does he need? He needs supernatural action. He needs the God of heaven and earth, time and space, to save him, both from the chains of Rome and the chains of his own doubts and fears. He calls out to his cousin, come and save me. Judge this land, judge me. Bring your kingdom, break down these prison walls, free me from the enemy's clutches. What does Jesus tell him? What does God tell him? He says, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who shall not be offended in me. Is that the answer John wanted to hear? Not, I'm coming, John, hold on. Right? Is that the answer we want to hear? And we pray to God and ask him to intercede for us. But we should. We should want this answer every single day. For Jesus tells his cousin that the prophecies of Isaiah are coming true. Right? But even more than that, right? Is it there could be? But even more than that, Jesus reveals in his life and action the very evidence of the kingdom of God. When he says the kingdom of God is at hand, he means it. It's in his hands, right? The real power of the true God being displayed in the world he created. We see the healing of the consequences of a broken humanity, right? Blindness, leprosy, death itself. All of these unnatural burdens of our enslaved race being lifted off the backs of real people in a real-life coming attraction for the new world, God chose Isaiah to proclaim until his own countrymen murdered him for telling the truth. When Jesus tells St. John all of this, John too is about to be murdered for telling the truth. He too is about to join the long list of men and women who reveal their faith and trust in God by dying in his name. And with that example, our solemn Advent prayer should be, please God, judge me too. Allow me to be the honor of dying to this fallen world in your name. Let me know your love by trusting only in you. Because if that prayer is ours, if we defiantly include ourselves with Isaiah, St. John the Baptist, with St. Peter and St. Paul, with the, all the saints who have come before, worship and love the Lord, if we place ourselves under the judgment of God, rather than cowering in fear over the mad judgment of humanity, the cruel judgment of our own hearts, if we are united with the suffering, cross-shaped witness of the Church of Triumphant, that we can rest assured of those blessed words of that prophet, who wrote, Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you.
judge is returning with vengeance, with a sword to wet with the blood of tyrants and rapists, murderers and adulterers, liars and gossipers, the hateful and the ungenerous. That judgment will be the victory of good over evil and the forever end of sin and death. In this season of Advent, let us prepare for that return. Let us fully devote ourselves to the Messiah who has earned the right to carry that sword of judgment by taking the judgment he deserved upon himself. Be strong, fear not, trust in God and nothing else, and we can be assured he will deliver us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.
on page 250 of the Book of Common Prayer. Let us pray for the whole state of Christchurch militant here on earth. Almighty and ever-living God, who by thy holy apostle has taught us to make prayers and supplications and to give thanks for all men, we humbly beseech thee most mercifully to accept our alms and oblations, and to receive these our prayers which we offer unto thy divine majesty, beseeching thee to inspire continually the universal church with the spirit of truth, unity, and concord, and grant that all those who do confess thy holy name may agree in the truth of thy holy word, and live in unity and godly love. We beseech thee also so to direct and dispose the hearts of all Christian rulers, that they may truly and impartially administer justice. To the punishment of wickedness and vice, and to the maintenance of thy true religion and virtue, give grace, O Heavenly Father, to all bishops and pastors, especially Peter, our bishop ordinary, that they may both by their life and doctrine set forth thy true and lively word, and rightly and duly administer thy holy sacraments. And to all thy people give thy heavenly grace, and especially to this congregation here present, that with me can't and do reverence they may hear and receive thy holy word, truly serving thee in holiness and righteousness all the days of their life. And we must humbly beseech thee of thy goodness, O Lord, to comfort and succor all those who in this transitory life are in trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity, especially those for whom our prayers are desired. And we also bless thy holy name, for all thy servants departed this life in thy faith and fear, beseeching thee to give us grace so to follow their good examples, that with them we may be partakers of thy heavenly kingdom. Grant they so, Father, for Jesus Christ's sake, our only mediator and advocate. Amen. Amen. The exhortation is found on page 255. Dearly beloved in the Lord, he that minded come to the holy communion of the body and blood of our Savior Christ must consider how St. Paul exhorteth all persons diligently to prove and examine themselves before they presume to eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For as the benefit is great, if with a true penitent heart and lively faith we receive that holy sacrament, but then we spiritually eat the flesh of Christ and drink his blood, that we dwell in Christ and Christ in us, we are one with Christ and Christ with us. So is the danger great if we receive the same unworldly. For then we are guilty of the body and blood of Christ our Savior. We eat and drink our own condemnation, not considering the Lord's body. We kindle God's wrath against us. We provoke him to plague us with diverse diseases and sundry kinds of death. Judge therefore yourselves, brethren, that ye not judge by the Lord. Repent you truly for your sins past. Have a lively and steadfast faith in Christ our Savior. Amend your lives, and be in perfect charity with all men. So shall ye be meet partakers of those holy mysteries. And above all things, ye must give most humble and hearty thanks to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, for the redemption of the world by the death and passion of our Savior Christ, both God and man, who did humble himself even to the death upon the cross for us miserable sinners, who lay in darkness and the shadow of death, that he might
might make us the children of God and exalt us to everlasting life. And to the end that we should always remember the exceeding great love of our Master and only Savior, Jesus Christ, thus dying for us, and the innumerable benefits which by his precious blood shedding he hath obtained for us. He hath instituted and ordained holy mysteries as pledges of his love, and for a continual remembrance of his death to our great and endless comforts. To him, therefore, the Father and the Holy Ghost, let us give, as we are most bound in, continual thanks, submitting ourselves wholly to his holy will and pleasure, and studying to serve him in true holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. Amen. 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 He who truly and earnestly repent of your sins, and all of and charity with your neighbors, and intend to lead a new life, following the commandments of God, and walking from henceforth in his holy ways, draw near to faith. And take this holy sacrament to your comfort, and make your humble confession to Almighty God, meekly kneeling upon your knees. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Maker of all things, Judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed, against thy divine majesty, provoking most justly thy wrath and indignation against us. We do earnestly repent, and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. The burden of them is intolerable. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please thee in newness of life to the honor and glory of thy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who with great mercy hath promised forgiveness of sins, to all those who with hearty repentance and true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon, and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear what comfortable words our Savior Christ said, and of all who truly turn to him. Come unto me, all the travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. So God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, to the end that all that believe in him should not perish. Here also what St. Paul said, This is a true saying, and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Here also what St. John said, If any man sin, we have an advocate of the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is meet and right It is very meet, right, and our bounden duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, everlasting God. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name 
evermore praising thee and saying,
our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for thee, preserve that body and soul unto everlasting life. Blessed God Almighty, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, be kind to you all. Take this remembrance that Christ died for thee, and gave him in thy heart by faith and thanksgiving. Join me in the Lord's Prayer on page 264. Our Father, who art in Thee, 
that all we who are partakers of this Holy Communion may be fulfilled with thy grace and heavenly benediction. And although we are unworthy through our manifold sins to offer unto thee any sacrifice, yet we beseech thee to accept this our bounden duty and service, not weighing our merits, but pardoning our offenses. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom and with whom, in the unity of the Holy Ghost, all honor and glory be unto thee, O Father Almighty, world without end. Amen. The Darmian Hymn 25. 